TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right, welcome back in. We are with you until midnight. So if you want to weigh in after the Celtics' big win tonight over the Grizzlies, are they legitimate contenders? 617-779-7937, the number. I believe they did a really nice job on Morant. So Morant got his... Usual buckets in the restricted area, 7 for 9 in there, 77.9%. Usually he takes 8 attempts in the restricted area per game. He's a tour de force getting downhill, so he's going to get those attempts, and he certainly did tonight. But if you look at the rest of his numbers, from floater range, he was 1 of 5, 20%. He ordinarily shoots 44.3% from there, so he was 24.3% below his average in floater range. Those were contested shots. You look at the mid-range attempts from Morant, one for three from mid-range, which is where you wanted shooting because he sucks shooting from the mid-range. And then the big thing was this. He took 12 above the break threes. And on the season, he only takes four a game. And you forced him to take 12 because of the Celtics' defensive game plan. They just sat back and said, hey, dude, if you want to take threes, take them all night long. So he took eight more above the break threes than he ordinarily takes, and he was four of 12. Those are the type of shots. Those are bailout shots for the Celtics. You want him taking those shots. And one of the things coming into the game is John Morant, number one in the NBA in points in the paint per game at 16.8. He had 16 tonight. But the bigger thing on the other side of this is Jason Tatum had more than him. Jason Tatum ends up with 20 points in the paint tonight. And Tatum was really good. First of all, at the rim, he was finishing well, 7 of 11, which we've basically seen since the start of the new year. He was 3 for 4 in floater range. He had some really nice floaters tonight. And if he can hit that consistently, because it's about 38% of the season, if he can hit that consistently... That's a huge weapon for Jason Tatum. And then in the mid-range, two for three tonight for Tatum. But just in general, if you look at it in terms of what the Grizzlies like to do offensively and how the Grizzlies like to go about their business, the Celtics did a really good job essentially preventing what their bread and butter. Not, I wouldn't say their bread and butter. They still got into their offensive rebound game. They got out in transition. But for the most part, they did a really good job defensively in terms of, first of all, The Grizzlies ordinarily take 29.4 or 29.7, so almost 30 attempts per game in the restricted area. The Celtics held them to 24, rather. Then you look at it in terms of the Celtics of the season. They've been really good in that category. Third, in terms of preventing teams to take attempts in the restricted area at 21.7, so slightly worse than the Celtics ordinarily are. But this is the number one team. This is the fourth-ranked team in the NBA getting into the restricted area. So naturally, that was going to be a challenge, especially with John Morant. You look at another component to this in terms of the floater range. Ordinarily, the Grizzlies shoot 42.3% in floater range. Tonight, the Celtics hold them to 36%, which is big. 
And then you look at the Celtics. They're really good in terms of preventing teams to be successful in the restricted area. They ordinarily give up opponents just shooting 38.7%. So they were even better than they ordinarily are when it comes to that. Now, here was the big one for the Celtics. The Grizzlies just 3 of 10 from mid-range. They do not want to shoot from mid-range whatsoever. That's one of the things about the Grizzlies. They're one of these analytical teams, if you will. They don't want to take mid-range jump shots. And tonight, the Celtics had them essentially taking 10 mid-range jump shots, and they shoot 30% of them. That's something that the Celtics want to make teams do, is make you take inefficient shots, a la the mid-range jump shots. On the season, they are taking the Grizzlies 24.2 above the break threes. That's 22nd in the NBA. So they don't take a lot of above the break threes. Tonight, we mentioned Ja took 12, but the Grizzlies in general took 35. That's not what they want to do. And this is part of what the Celtics do really well is they force you to take above the break threes. The Celtics on the season, they give up just 33.3% and above the break threes. That's sixth in the NBA. So essentially what the Celtics did tonight, they forced them to take more mid-range jump shots than they ordinarily do, and they forced them to take more above the break threes. So despite the fact that, yes, the Grizzlies got what they wanted on the offensive glass, they got what they wanted in transition at times, and the Celtics really played into that with some careless turnovers in the second quarter. The Celtics did take away, at times, what the Grizzlies want to do. They didn't get into the restricted area as often as they want. They sucked from floater range. And they made them take more mid-range and above-the-break threes than they ordinarily do. So they destroyed their shot profile. That's why the Grizzlies, from an offensive perspective, were not very efficient in this game. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Paul in Westfield. Paul, what's up, man? Well, it's time to dump the slack. The sports pope, Barrett, and the Boston Celtics are back. Oh, Yes, sir. Hey, uh, Brian, it's been a while since we talked. I, think I know. Where you been, Paul? Broke. I mean, I'm used to you doing uh, Red Sox season and some of the Patriots season. What, have you been taking a break after the Pats season or something? What's going on? <laughs> hey, Brian, uh, all kidding aside, I, I, I'm a, I have a way of knowing what's going to happen. So last time we spoke, I said, Mac doesn't throw pure interceptions. Judon's a sack machine. And then all of a sudden, Judon can't get a sack. Max throwing interceptions. And I said in the privacy of my house off air, you're going to see something really weird in the Buffalo game, which was unprecedented, a horror show. Oh, so yeah. I just knew my role and shut my pie hole and stayed off the air. But we do have good things to talk about. Um, we, uh, we spoke about the Celtics. Ten seconds left, they're down by three. They throw up a two. The fourth quarter flop. They were just terrible. And they literally turned it around and – well, you mentioned tonight about forcing Grizzlies to take bad shots. Good point. The other night, Tatum, instead of finishing the game, he's using the other players like Marcus Smart dropping threes. And they're playing as a team, moving the ball around, and they're learning to adjust. Like when we played Miami, Miami would switch their offensive style. The Celtics picked up on it and adjusted the defense. Like I told uh, KJ, this team, when they played together, and with that new kid that looks like kid play, they really do look like a really good team. And they're only Wait, like who'd you say it looks four. like? You're talking about Derek White? Yeah, Derek White looks so funny to me. Who do you think he looks like? Yeah. Kid play, but with the goatee. Who's kid play? Like a light-skinned rapper that they oh. were from years ago with Flavor oh. Flav and all them. Oh, oh, he's I'm with Flavor Flav. I'm ancient. Yes, okay, sir. i got to look this and, guy up. 
and then, of course, the Time Lord Williams crashing the boards and rejecting the ball. Like I told KJ, the way they're playing, they look like they could beat the crud out of just about anybody. And if they keep this up, look at how close the top four or five teams ahead of us are. They're only like four or five games out. If this oh, that's trend continues, yeah. we really could. We could really place well in our division. And this team, when they play smart and as a team, they look great. It's such a pleasant relief and a change to see from the terrible start that they had, you know. Yeah, and that's a good point, Paul. I appreciate it. Oh, by the way, Paul, did uh, KJ do a parody song when you listened? <laughs> you know, yeah. I do classy Freddy Blassie, smashy Freddy Blassie, and then he turns into Randy Macho Man Savage. It's a total nut circus, but we love it. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but hey, Paul, appreciate the call, man. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937. He does bring up a really interesting point as it pertains to the standings. So if you look at it, the Celtics four and a half games back of the Heat, but they're just two games back of Philly, who's second, and Chicago is basically percentage points behind Philly. So they're only two; they're two games back of Philly and Chicago right now. They're one game back of the Bucks, who are in that four spot. So here's the thing: I would say, if you're the Celtics, ideally, what you would like to do is you would like to be in a situation where you're either in the three spot playing Cleveland. Or you're in the four spot playing Chicago. You want to avoid that first round matchup with the reigning defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. So that's the interesting thing about how this is going to shake up down the stretch of the season. Because I know now that they made those new tanking rules. And actually, I would say it's more so because of the play-in tournament where 10 teams get in. Like Sacramento, for example. This is a dumpster fire of an organization. They're 24-41. and And they're three and a half games back of the Pelicans for the play-in game. But basically, they made a move at the deadline. They got rid of their best young player, okay, in Halliburton, who we saw the other night light up the Celtics. They got rid of that guy to try to get into the play-in game and get Sabonis. Okay, so you have all these teams that are trying to get into the postseason. If you look at it in terms of the East, the only team that's not trying, or the only teams are the Pacers, the Pistons, the Magic. Tom Thibodeau's still going to try to get there with the Knicks. You look at the Western Conference right now. Portland was winning too many games, so they're going to try to lose. The Spurs have finally acknowledged they suck. Congratulations to Greg Popovich. OKC's not trying, and Houston's not trying. That's four teams. Usually we have a lot more teams than that that aren't trying at the end of the season, right? So the point being is, at the end of these years, we had so many teams that just, like, weren't dressing guys. I remember years ago, Eric Bledsoe wasn't hurt, and they just didn't play him because they weren't trying to win games at the end of the season. So... What I feel like is going to happen this year down the stretch of the season, it's not going to be weird because of tanking teams. It's going to be teams in the East, and I would say to a lesser extent to the Western Conference, more so in the East, where teams are trying to avoid certain teams in terms of the bracket, right? Like, for example, here's another interesting note that you would take away from this. Do you want to be the two seed? So Miami right now is two and a half games up on Philly. And Chicago and Philly have the same record, right? Or the same, they're the same spot in the standings, different. Philly has one less win, but one less loss. And Chicago, one more win, one more loss. So they're right there with percentage points in terms of the differential there. But here's the thing. Do you want to play Brooklyn in the first round? That's what you may run into if you're the two seed, right? Because Brooklyn in all likelihood is going to win that play-in game. Right now they're sitting in the eighth spot. Toronto's in that seventh spot. Although that may be interesting because... I know that it looks like New York's going to change things in terms of the mask mandate, or not the mask mandate, the vaccine mandate. So Kyrie still can't, and it's, I, look, I never stick up for Kyrie, but I, I don't understand that law in New York. So a visiting player can come in that's not vaccinated and play, and Kyrie can't, 
It doesn't really make sense to me. But anyway, I don't believe they've changed the restrictions in Canada. So if Brooklyn plays the first play-in game in Toronto, <laughs> Kyrie may not be available. Now, look, they're three games back, and they just got Durant back. Maybe they go on a big run here. Maybe they could get into, well, I mean, they're five games back at Cleveland. That would be tough. But maybe they hop in front of Toronto, and it's not going to be an issue because it does look like that's going to change. But it does feel like there will be some shenanigans going down at the end of the season as it pertains to trying to avoid certain teams. When I look at it in terms of the teams that I would want to avoid in the first round, obviously the Celtics aren't going to deal with the Nets. I don't want to see Miami. I don't want to see Philadelphia. And I don't want to see Milwaukee in the first round. Now, I know if you're going to make a run in the postseason, eventually you have to face one of those teams. But I'd much rather do it in the second round. I'd like to build up some confidence because... I look at the Chicago Bulls team. Yeah, they have a great record and all that. The Celtics have the best net rating, by the way, in the Eastern Conference. The problem is at the beginning of the season, they couldn't close out clutch games, meaning games that were within five points with five minutes or less in the games. They couldn't win those close games. Now, lately, it's been better. They've been five and four in their last clutch game, uh, clutch games, but on the season, they're 11 and 18. That's the reason they are where they are in the standings. But Chicago's had this great run. DeMar DeRozan's having this outstanding season, but they just have a horrible defense. You look at Cleveland, first experience sort of together. You got the rookie in Mobley and Jarrett Allen. You got Darius Garland, who's really their only playmaker. He's dealing with an injury right now. It just feels like that team does not have enough firepower to deal with the Celtics. So those are the teams that I would like to ideally play in the first round, either Cleveland or Chicago. Those are the best matchups for the Celtics. And I guess from an aesthetic standpoint, how about if Philly ends up with a two-seed? And Brooklyn ends up with a seven seed. I mean, that would be incredible. I feel like the Eastern Conference, like, the Celtics are better than they were a couple of years ago, I believe. Like, this team is better than the team that went to the conference finals in the bubble. Although, of course, rough start to the season and all that. I truly believe this team is better. There was some weird chemistry there. But the problem is now the East is just so much deeper. Miami's a good team. Philly's a good team. I'm not high in Chicago, but they're a good team. Milwaukee's a good team. Obviously, they won the championship. Cleveland is punchy. I don't buy them. Toronto's a good team that plays really good defense. And Brooklyn, of course, we all know what they're dealing with. I mean, right now Atlanta's the 10th, the team that went to the conference finals last year. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into. If you do want to weigh in on the Celtics, are they legitimate bona fide contenders? Would you take Jason Tatum over John Morant right now? That was a poll that was going on in the station today. And 53% said they would take John Morant over Jason Tatum. I thought that was crazy to begin with. I would take Tatum over... John Morant any day of the week. He plays the more important position. But if you want to weigh in on that, that's on the table. And one note about Ime Adoka that I want to get to in just a little bit here on EEI. The Greg Hill Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, the Seas took out the Grizzlies tonight, 120-107 at the Garden. The one bad note to come out of this one, Aaron Neesmith left with an ankle injury. It did not look good. He had to leave on a wheelchair. Jason Tatum, 37 in this one. Also six rebounds. He dished out five assists. Big night for Al Horford. How about Al? 21 points, 15 rebounds, and five assists. He also blocked two shots. Robert Williams, double-double, 10 points, 12 rebounds. He had three assists, three steals, and three blocks. So he filled up the stat sheet pretty nicely. And Marcus Smart, the forgotten man in this one, he has a double-double as well. 18 points, 12 assists. So big night for Smart. Off the bench, Grant Williams, 11 points he was three for three from three point territory and Derek White 12 points off the bench he had four rebounds he had two assists in this game the Seas will host the Nets on Sunday afternoon 
And they just signed Nick Stauskas out of the G League. Stauskas was playing for Grand Rapids. He had 100 points in his last two games. I'm not kidding. He had 100 points in his last two games. He has not been good in the NBA, but Celtics right now are really thin bench. I'm kind of surprised that they gave him a two-year contract. But a very thin bench right now. We'll see if he can bring something to this team. And, oh, Ime Dokanim, the coach of the month for February. In the NHL, the Bees and the Golden Knights underway. They've actually, it's in the third period now. Bees have a 2-1 to lead. Jeremy Swayman in the net. He's stopped 29 of 30 shots so far. Craig Smith with both goals in this one, playing against his former team, of course. The Black and Gold play this game, and then they're still on the road all the way until Saturday. They'll visit the Blue Jackets. The NFL and the Players Association have suspended all league-wide COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. To that, I say about time. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Original. Original. WEEI. WEEI. New England Sports Original. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. So, interesting, if you look at the Celtics just signing Sauce Castillo, that's what Nick Stauskas goes by. So, Sauce Castillo, who just had 100 points in two games for Grand Rapids, He's coming in. I don't mind the signing. I much prefer this to like to like Isaiah Thomas because maybe there's a role down the road for Stauskas if maybe he's found something in the G League with Isaiah Thomas. We kind of know what he is at this particular point in time, and he's a liability defensively. I know everybody likes the story and all that, but I am sort of interested to see why they gave him a two-year contract. That, to me, quite frankly, just doesn't make sense. The only thing I can come up with as it pertains to the two-year contract is – there was competition for Stauskas, which because he's going off of the G League. But if that's the case, that's a good thing that there was competition for the guy because other people obviously value him across the league. But I did find this interesting. So if you take Jason Tatum and you compare him with Paul Pierce in their fifth seasons. So, by the way, Pierce was 25 in his fifth season. Jason Tatum just turned 24 today. So technically this is his 23-year-old season. Jason Tatum, year five, 25.9 points per game. Paul Pierce, 25.9 points per game. Jason Tatum, 20.7 field goal attempts per game. Paul Pierce, 20.2. Paul Pierce, 7.3 rebounds per game. 
Jason Tatum, 8.3. So Tatum's get, get, gas has a rather as it pertains to the rebounding. Jason Tatum, 4.2 assists per game. Paul Pierce, 4.4. So slight edge to Paul there. If you look at the steals per game, Jason Tatum at 1. Paul Pierce at 1.8. So here's the other thing that is very similar with both these guys. The Celtics, with Jason Tatum, they have a plus 11.1 on-off. The differential when he's off the floor compared to when he's on the floor because they're a negative point differential when he's off the floor. With Paul Pierce, it was plus 10.7. At this point in Jason Tatum's career, he's been a three-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA performer. He will be All-NBA again. Pierce at this time was a two-time All-Star and a two-time All-NBA guy. So he's basically at the same pace as Paul Pierce was when Pierce came into the league. And by the way, Pierce won conference championship appearance at that point. Tatum, of course, too, although he was only the main guy on one. Paul Pierce is the main guy on the team that went to the conference finals, of course, with Antoine Walker. So it is very similar in terms of the developmental path with both these guys. Although, from my perspective, Jason Tatum is the more talented guy. Paul Pierce had a little bit more of, I'm going to get to the hole right when he came into the league. But remember, Paul Pierce was bigger when he came into the NBA. Jason Tatum came into the league when he was 19. Paul Pierce came into the league. He already played three years at the collegiate level. So he had time to work on his strength, so to speak. And now we've seen it with Tatum. As he's put more armor on, if you will, he's put more muscle on, he gets downhill and he gets to the cup a lot easier. But it is kind of cool for me to watch Tatum because obviously – We've seen his whole career now, but I kind of think back of, like, this is him emerging as a player. Like, when Paul Pierce was doing his thing at the beginning of his his career, I was sort of in my, for lack of a better term, embryonic stages as a sports fan. Like, I was just falling in love with sports. I was young at that particular point in time. Like, I watched the Celtics game, but I clearly don't have the knowledge I had at this time. So it's like we're sort of seeing Tatum develop right before our eyes right now, at least from my perspective. And we've seen him make steady improvements throughout his career to the point now he is just before entering his prime. He's only 24 years old. Really, you peak in the NBA at 26, 27. So he's close to that peak, and he's already right now playing at a top 10 level in the league. Like, it would be a crime if he doesn't make an all-NBA team this year. He definitely will make at least the third team. Quite frankly, I believe he should make the second team based on games played. He played 61 games so far this season. Guys don't do that in the NBA anymore. Jason Tatum has played the second most minutes in the league. That needs to count for something, and especially in a league right now. And look, I understand all the sports science and why guys take nights off and why guys rest. I understand all that. But Tatum has a sidekick in Jalen Brown that is injured all the time. He's missed 24.4% of games over the past two seasons. Tatum has to be out there. If Tatum's not on the court, this team is not very productive from an offensive perspective. So I believe you need to give him credit for being out there every night. It needs to count for something. And we don't see that in the sport very often. Guys are getting DNP rest nowadays. Tatum's out there every night. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Paulie. He's on a couch. What's up, Paulie? Hey, what do you say, Brian? I'm doing well. How about you? All right. I'm doing fine, pal. Doing fine. I just want to call to talk a little bit about Tom Brady tonight. Okay. While I'm watching the Bruins game and listening to you. It's like being in heaven, Brian. <laughs> watching ball games and listening to you and Mud at night, my two main tigers. Well, Paulie, my mom when radio. I was growing up tried to get me not to talk, so i got to take advantage now. <laughs> it kind of work, Brian, because you're, you're very quiet. <laughs> you know, you're, you're on the quiet side. <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, speaking of uh, moms, uh, it, was, it was very nice that uh, Tommy you know, went home, Tom Brady went home and surprised his mother. 
uh, what was it, yesterday on Ash Wednesday. Hey, Paul, you think he you really slept? Did you see the picture he put out there on social media of the bed he was going to sleep in? That's his old bed. It's yeah, you think, he re- bed you think he actually slept in that? Dream. Yeah, he's back in I'm that same it. bed now, dreaming dreaming the dreams that are about to come to fruition, Brian, about him playing for the red, uh, gold, and black. Oh. The San Francisco 49ers, you know. Tom Curran did say today, I mean, the numbers play out too, Brian. You know, um, you know, he's it's, it's 22 years. He's gone full circle. It's now 2022. You know, he he, he came in first day of, uh, of uh, Lent, Ash Wednesday. God's playing a role here. And I'll tell you, uh, he, as Tom Curran said, you know, it's a, he he's open. He's open for business. You know, he's open for business in San Francisco, where <laughs> God's golden, where God's golden sun will shine on Tommy. I don't know, Amen, Paul. Brian. End of story. All right, Paul. It's happening. And right. I can't wait to see it. And I'll be out there. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to see him. And uh, I'll be out there early in warm-ups with all my Patriots gear on, screaming and yelling for him to come on over and say hello. All right, Paul. To hey, me, what's what's the Jim latest? Murray and the rest of the Patriots condition. <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll call ourselves. We're going to call ourselves the fly, Tommy's Flying Tigers. We're going to have our own plane. Jim Murray's <laughs> going to be the pilot. We're going to have we're going to have teeth painted on the the nose of the plane and everything, just like the ti- the Flying Tigers of War. You know, we're well, going to march into the, the stadium. We're going to march into the stadium and lockstep with our own flag, you know, Tommy's Tigers, the Massachusetts uh, uh, division. <laughs> All right, well, hey, Mutt's a big Brady guy, too, so make sure you bring Mutt. Hey, Paulie, oh, uh, what's, la- what's the latest on the political scene? Ending, Brian, to a storybook career. What? What's the latest on the political scene? Didn't you tell me one time you were a political operative? Yeah, yeah. What's the latest so, well, on the scene? What's the, what's the latest on the scene? Yeah, who are you working for? Scene, Brian, I spoke to one of my bosses recently, and I said we should have uh, we should have moved right, and we should have called a quick vote uh, for Na- on uh, uh, with NATO and uh, uh, Ukraine, signed them up quickly, and moved the move the move the NATO troops to the front, you know, right at right at the border, and told uh, and announced to the entire world that we're here to defend the Ukraine, not to attack Russia in a militarily conventional way, and then looked at Putin and said, come on, let's go. You want to go? Let's go. And, oh. and, and this stuff never would have happened. Now we got to get the troops to, uh, to the borders of NATO. Poland, um, I, would, I would call for, and I've also told them, that we, I would call for, uh, Sweden and Finland in to call Putin's bluff and sign them right up for NATO right now. Okay, this guy's got to go. We got to force. We we can't we can't be giving up ground. Isolationism never works, Brian. Okay, I don't play I don't play games. I get right in yeah. there. Yeah, I mean that's this is. I mean it's. Thugs. I mean that, that's it's, the only way to handle thugs like that, and that's my reputation in Norfolk County. Yeah, I go right in. I don't come through the back. Come in the back door. I come right through your front door with the truth. Okay, I'm nothing but the truth of my the truth and all the love of God in my heart. Okay, yeah. And, you know, it, we're, and losing is not an option. You know, we stand for what's right, and what's what's right for all the, all the people that we serve. You know, in truth, honor, and transparency. All right, that's all right, who Paul. I am. That's hey, who we, uh, appreciate love the you, call. Brian. Yeah, love you too, man. Appreciate the call. His line's open if you want to grab it at six one seven 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 nine seven nine three seven. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to watch what's going on in the Ukraine on the news right now. Uh, I want to get back to the Celtics here. So, Stat Muse put this out. 
And by the way, I love Paulie. That guy cracks me up. Very entertaining guy. He loves this Tom Brady to the Niners story. He really does. And I don't buy the whole thing that Tom slept in his bed like his child. I know he said that, like, on with Freddie Couples, and he put the picture out there on social media, but did you see that thing? I don't know how Tom Brady could possibly – he's six foot four. There's no way he could fit in that bed that he put out there on social media. So how about this? The Celtics have won nine straight games versus teams currently in the playoff picture. The Grizzlies, the Hawks, the Nets, the 76ers, the Hawks, the Nuggets, the Nets, the Hornets, and the Heat. Pretty impressive. They have the most wins in the Eastern Conference against teams that are north of 500. So clearly there's been a change. And, man, I don't know if I've – I don't want to say changed my opinion because I didn't think, like, at the beginning of the season, oh, the Celtics are struggling. Ime Adoka can't coach. But I don't know if we've seen this from – now, maybe it's just partly because he's a first-year coach and they had to learn his system. And Tatum even talked about that briefly on Reddick's podcast. Is like they were adjusting to – Ime Adoka and his coaching, not his coaching style, but the system he wanted to implement here. But I don't know if I've ever seen a turnaround like this. Like, I remember at the beginning of the season, obviously there's been, like, the Heat a couple of years ago when they had that, and Spolster did a great job there, when they had, like, Dion Waiters and Hassan Whiteside. They were, like, 11-30, and 30, and they ended up finishing, like, 40. They they ended up with, like, uh, they were, like, 41-41 and 41 at the end of the season. They didn't make the playoffs, but it was, like, they had this incredible turnaround in the second half of the season. So we've seen great turnarounds before. But just the buy-in factor of this team. Remember, basically every press conference for the first, like, two months of the season, it felt like Ime Adoka was always calling out the team because something was going wrong. Every game there was something, right? And then you had this whole situation with Marcus Smart. Remember when Marcus Smart called out Tatum and Brown? Essentially, to paraphrase, he basically accused them of being selfish. They weren't passing the ball enough. Now, Tatum said that he talked to J.J. Redick about this on the podcast. Great podcast. He was mentioning to Marcus Smart the fact, or he mentioned to J.J. Redick that him and Marcus Smart, like, talked the next day, and it was all cool with ever, like, Marcus Smart apologized. But this team was, like, now it's like the Lakers are the clear leaders of the NBA in drama. The Celtics were up there at the beginning of the season, everything that was transpiring with them. And really, it just feels like ever since the start of the new year, they've been a completely different team. Their offense has clearly been different. And that's something I wanted to get to. So if you look at the Celtics tonight with the offense, it's been the big change because the defense has been there all year. Clearly, it's ratcheted up to a totally different dimension. The Celtics are like, by far the best defensive team in January. It's not even close how much better they are. In fact, if you looked at like at the beginning of February, the team that was second in defense was closer to like the 15th best team in defense than the Celtics. That's how much of a differential it was. That's how dominant the Celtics were defensively. But if you look at tonight, so the Celtics, this has been their big thing. They've been a much better passing team. 33 assists tonight. And so if you go back to the beginning of the season and say take the beginning of the year through New Year's Eve. The Celtics, at that particular point in time, they ranked 21st in assists per game. They were at 22.7. If you look at the Celtics since the start of the new year, they rank 8th in the NBA in assists per game at 25.6. So they went from one of the worst passing teams in the NBA to a team that's in the top 10 in assists per game. And if you actually look at just like some of the raw numbers, passes per game, that's way up as well. So clearly it took a while for this team to sort of develop its identity on the offensive side. They had an identity defensively. They just didn't really have an identity on the offensive side of the floor, and we've clearly seen that. Now here is my concern about the Celtics as it pertains to the postseason. I just wonder if 
we see slumps from a shooting perspective, right? Because if you look at this team, and it's actually not bad. They're 36% from three-point territory on the season, which is 11th. And that number's climbing if you're you – know, that, well, that's since the new year if you look at it. So they've been better since the new year. But if you take the season in totality in terms of where they're at from a three-point percentage standpoint, they're 21st in the league at 34.5. So since the start of the new year, they've been better. But they've never really been a great shooting team. So that would be my one concern of the postseason is just the lack of perimeter shooters. Obviously, you trust Grant, and Tatum's numbers have not been there this season from a percentage standpoint. But you trust Tatum shooting. You trust Jalen Brown shooting. Although, Jalen, maybe this couple of days off or whatever it is ends up helping him because it did feel like Jalen is one of the guys that in the month of February. Now, I'm not saying that Jalen was bad. It's just he wasn't the same player, really, in the month of January or in the month of February rather than he was for the majority of the season his shooting was way down shooting 28 percent from three since the start of February which obviously uncharacteristic of Jalen Brown so maybe a couple of days off will help Jalen and the other thing I'd say just briefly about Jalen is you just wanted to get that guy healthy for the postseason run because it does feel like all something always happens to him there's some injury that he's always dealing with he of course was not available for the postseason run last year so maybe it's a blessing in disguise that the turn ankle happened now rather than a couple of weeks from now. So he actually is ready for the postseason. And I would just say, make sure that he's 100% ready to go. Don't bring him back too soon because we saw that happen earlier this season. I know a different type of injury, but then he had another setback. I just want to make sure that Jalen is 100% ready to go when he comes back because I don't want to see him re-aggravate this situation. And then he re he, because he's doing one thing, you heard something else. Like, I don't want to see anything with that with Jalen Brown because he is somebody that is naturally, at this point, you cannot say anything else, but he's injury prone. Love him when he's on the court. Like, I'm not the guy, and I'm not blaming him. He, he has serious injuries. It's not like he's one of these guys that's resting games or something along those lines. Like, he's nursing something. He should have been back soon. No, he's not doing any of that. The guy deals with serious injuries, whether it's a hamstring whether it's a knee, whether it's an ankle. It's always something serious with Jalen Brown. So that's why I say with conviction, just make sure this guy is ready to go when it comes to the postseason because clearly you're going to need him, especially like these minutes when Tatum goes to the bench. It's already becoming a story in the regular season. Oh, is Derek White going to be the guy now that handles the offense? And it seems like now with Jalen out of the picture for the for the moment, and it doesn't think the reporting is it doesn't look, and Ime Adoki even said it doesn't look like he's going to be out for a long period of time, but just the point being with Jalen, just get this guy on the court in the postseason so we can find out what this team looks like with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as the main two guys. Now, there's obviously a big gap between those two players. Tatum is significantly better than Jalen Brown. But if you really think about it, we've never seen this pairing, this grouping, if you will, these two guys being the main two guys in a playoff team before. Because if you go back to the Orlando bubble, the last time those two guys, of course, played together in a postseason setting, when you go back to that particular point, Jalen Brown was really the third guy. Because remember, Kemba came back, and it was really Kemba and Jason Tatum. It was more about those two guys than it was Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown was sitting in the corner way too much in the Brad Stevens offense. So that was an issue for the Celtics in terms of their execution offensively. It led to issues in the locker room as well with Marcus Smart. Remember that whole situation with the Celtics a couple of Years ago, but the point, the main point I'm trying to make, the broader point is that Jalen Brown wasn't the number two option. Now he's the number two option. So I want to find out what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown look like together 
as the one-two punch, if you will. And then with the Robert Williams mixed in there, the Marcus Smart mixed in there, Derek White mixed in there, I want to find out what this team looks like in a postseason setting because I do feel like this sort of makeup. Now, I would like them to add more shooting, and maybe Stauskas brings that. I mean, he's been shooting the crap out of the ball at the G League level. I do wonder about him from a defensive perspective. He's never been a good defender since he's been in the NBA, and he's somebody that really, quite frankly, he was marketed as a shooter coming out of the collegiate level. And I actually, I I can't really say too much negatively about him when he was coming out of the college level. I thought he was going to be a good player. He made that run with Michigan, where John Beeline was the coach at that point in time. But he's just never really been a consistent shooter. If you look at his three-point percentage, he, for his career, is at 34%. His field goal percentage is at 38.9%. So it's really never come together for Stauskas at the NBA level. But I do get the idea of him. Because the Celtics do not have a lot of sharpshooters on this team, with the exception of Grant Williams. He's more of a catch-and-shoot type of guy, spot-up guy. He's not somebody that really shoots off movement. He's not running off screens to shoot. I'm not saying he needs to. I mean, he's fulfilling his role on this team and then some. I did not expect this jump from Grant Williams. It's tremendous how much he's developed. He came into the night third in the NBA three-point percentage. He's the best corner three-point shooter in the league. He's at 51%. That actually was going up tonight. But you get the point is you don't have a lot of shooting around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as the creators of this team. It's something urgently this team could use and this is something that Brad Stevens and company that front office for the Celtics they're going to have to evaluate in the offseason is how they get more shooters on this team around these guys and I do feel like Ime Doka has done some things lately to take advantage of what Derek White does do well because obviously he's not a good three-point shooter he's really never been that in his career but it's really at an all-time low this year but what he does do is he makes good decisions when he gets into the paint He has a really nice floater game, 53% entering tonight as a Celtic, 48% as a member of the Spurs. So he has a nice floater game when he gets in there, and he's a very good distributor. I mean, you look at his numbers in San Antonio, 24.9% assist rate. With the Celtics, it's down to around 18%, but that's more so because he doesn't have the ball as much as he does or he did with the Spurs. With the Spurs, he averaged about 55 touches per game. With the Celtics, that's down to about 40, and understandably, So, but it does feel like they've done more stuff getting him going, dribble handoff stuff along those lines to sort of get him in motion because it does feel like he's a good playmaker and he's shown some of that. It's just he doesn't have the ball as much as he ordinarily does. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. I do want to get to one Patriots note coming up in a second here. Tommy Curran had something very interesting to say about the coaching staff. We'll get to that next year in EI. All right, we are with you until midnight, 617-779-7937, the number. By the way, so the Clippers-Lakers game in on here, or on in here on the, in the studio after the season, of course, the Clippers have beaten the crap out of the Lakers. It's 92-65. to 65. The Lakers are getting absolutely smoked. Right now they entered tonight at 27-34. and 34. They're in the ninth spot in the Western Conference. The Clippers haven't had Kawhi all season. Paul George has been out for two months, and the Clippers are ahead of the Lakers in the standings. I, this is a complete embarrassment. It really is, and I <laughs> I can't understand. I find it funny because, obviously, I don't want LeBron to win, and I don't want the Lakers to win. I'm not like one of these anti-LeBron guys or anything along those lines. I'm just, I'm not a Lakers fan, naturally. But I cannot believe that they thought the Westbrook situation was going to work out there. Because, remember, LeBron was essentially the driving force behind that. 
They met with everybody in the organization. Remember, Rob Polinka had a deal done. And I'm not saying this would have made the Lakers like some incredible team, but they had a deal done for Buddy Heald. And in that deal, they would have given up Kuzma, They but they wouldn't have had to give up KCP. So they would have still had KCP as part of the equation. Not to say that he's some like unbelievable game change or anything along those lines, but the Lakers with Buddy Heald would have been a lot better than this Westbrook situation because at least Buddy Heald can provide shooting. And this has sort of been the formula for LeBron being successful throughout his career is surround him with a bunch of shooters. I mean, think back to the Miami days. They had Ray Allen. They had Shane Battier. That's kind of, they had Mario Chalmers. Then you go back to Cleveland. It was him and Kyrie as the creators. You had Kevin Love, right? I mean, you had shooters around LeBron. J.R. Smith, like that's how they won. That's how they won with the Lakers. And he thought for some reason that Russell Westbrook, who has not worked with any other superstar in recent history, didn't work with James Harden. Didn't work, and not to say Bradley Beal's a superstar, but it didn't work with Bradley Beal. It didn't work with Paul George. They lost in the first round to, at a time, a rookie in Donovan Mitchell. It just never worked out with Russell Westbrook playing with other stars because he cannot take a back seat. So I don't know why LeBron thought that particular situation would work out. In fact, if they never made a trade in general, they would have been better because Kyle Kuzma is having like a career season. So as bad as things appeared at one point for the Celtics, it has never been even close to how bad the situation is for the Lakers. And then they're all pissed, LeBron and Rich Paul, that they didn't trade Westbrook. The Lakers didn't trade Westbrook and a first-round pick for John Wall. John Wall is a Rich Paul client, but LeBron made the mess. LeBron's the one that wanted Westbrook. So I actually give the Lakers some credit for that. Like Jeannie Buss and company being like, no, we're not giving up a first-round pick. Fix it. Is John Wall that big of an upgrade? Maybe he is over Russell Westbrook, but you're the one that picked this roster. Absolutely ridiculous what's going on with the Lakers right now. Although I will say, if I'm a team, if I'm, say, the Warriors number two right now in the Western Conference and they're dealing with the Draymond Green situation, weird situation with him, comes out that he had a calf injury, then it turns out to be a back injury. And basically that it was triggering down to his calf, so to speak. I'm not the medical guy, but you get the point. Like, his calf was aggravated because he had a back injury. So when you look at that, who knows when the hell Draymond Green's going to come back. So if that Golden State team ends up with that two seed and somehow the, the Lakers end up with the seven seed if they, like, win hypothetically win the play-in tournament, I would favor the Warriors. But I don't think the Warriors want to see LeBron James in the first round. As bad as it's been for the Lakers, you do not want to see LeBron James in the first round of the postseason. Oh, but I did want to get to one Patriots note before we leave to the, for the night. So here was Tommy Curran earlier this week talking about the Pats coaching staff. It's a ton of work. It's an absolute ton of work and not a lot of manpower you're throwing at it. And a fair amount of the manpower you're throwing at it. <laughs> I look at the Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. I'm sure they're going to be there. Um and like, what's the role? What's the, how, I'm, I'm sure Bill will have their marching orders. He's a very organized individual, but it's just a lot of work. And I think that they're bobbing on the sea of, okay, how are we attacking 2022 as a personnel department, as a coaching staff? And then let's fill these holes. It's ambiguous, I guess. All right. So a couple of interesting thing there, is things there from Tommy Kern. So the first thing I'll say as it pertains to the coaching staff is I cannot imagine that they don't think, and they meaning Bill, that Bill doesn't think extremely high of Nick Cayley. Because 
There's no way that this offseason, the only thing you do to replace Josh McDaniels. Now, look, I've had my issues with Josh. I think he's overrated as a play caller. I wish that they'd make some changes to his scheme. But nonetheless, Josh McDaniels been here for a long time. The Patriots have been very successful with Josh McDaniels. People gave him a lot of credit for Mac this past season. I thought that was a little much, but you get the point. Established coach for a number of years. You cannot tell me that if you were bringing in your answer to him leaving was Matt Patricia on the offensive side of the ball and Joe Judge on the offensive side of the ball working with the quarterbacks. So they obviously brought Joe Judge back and they're bumping Patricia to the offense because they're losing coaches. But they have to think highly of Nick Cayley and have to believe that Cayley can be an offensive play caller or else Bill would have had to gone outside the family tree and hire somebody offensively. I truly have to believe that. Even Bill cannot be that arrogant to the point where he says, you know what, we're losing Josh, who Bill compared to Saban this particular offseason. We're losing that guy that I compared to Nick Saban. We're good. Don't worry about it. We're good. There's no way he did that. They obviously think highly of Nick Cayley. And there's been reporting out of the combine that everybody loves Nick Cayley, like not friends of Bill Belichick. In fact, Mike Giardi actually tweeted this out yesterday in terms of talking with people at the combine and the Nick Cayley situation. He said, talk to several NFL coaches and execs about the makeup of Belichick's coaching staff. Made sure they weren't FOBs, friends of Bill. To a man, there is a high regard for Nick Cayley. My understanding is that the Patriots still haven't officially finalized coaching roles for 2022 and 2023. So these are people that have no relationship with Bill Belichick, aren't friends with Bill, and they're saying that they really like Nick Cayley. So I have to believe that Belichick thinks he has his next great offensive coordinator, if you will, in Nick Cayley. Now, in terms of the personnel department, it's not great to lose Casario and Ziegler in back-to-back years, although I will say this. Ever since Casario left, the Patriots are drafting well again. I don't know if that's just a coincidence, but last year they had a great draft. They had a dry spell for about five years. But the one thing that sticks out to me is Elliot Wolf is still with the organization. And Elliot Wolf is one of those guys that Belichick actually brought in from the outside. Remember, he was with the Browns. John Dorsey loses his job. He comes here. He was up for the Packers GM job a couple of years ago. Actually had two interviews this particular offseason for GM jobs across the league. So when I look at the Elliot Wolf thing, he's obviously somebody that the Patriots think very highly of. Now, obviously, Matt Groh gets the elevation to Dave Ziegler's old gig. But it appears that Elliot Wolf is sort of the straw that stirs the drink as it pertains to the drafting and stuff along those lines because he's the guy that all these other organizations were interested in. So I do feel okay about the personnel department, if you will. All right, I will be back with you tomorrow. I'll be in for a mutt from 6 to 10. Mutt is doing Gresham Keefe. So I'll be back with you tomorrow night from 6 to 10 p.m. Thanks to Ethan for producing. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. 
Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported. 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier. And timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.